Welcome back to 9to5Photographer, the podcast to help professional photographers and filmmakers get more shoots, make more money and spend more time doing the things that they love. And in this episode, if you've ever wanted to spend more time on personal projects outside of when you're shooting for clients, which I've got to say is an amazing way to be inspired and then to provide a better service for your clients, then you're going to love what's coming up next because we're talking to Anya Perlman. I did practice saying that surname because I wanted to get it right. And she talks us through some of the things that she's been doing during lockdown and how she's kind of stumbled into a niche market shooting other photographers. You're going to hear all about this and I know that you're going to love this episode. So let's not waste any more time, but let's connect ourselves to Anya right now. Anya, good morning and thank you for being here today and thank you for coming onto the show. Thanks for having me. Good morning. So I'm really excited to be talking to you uh, today because there's lots I'd love to unpack about your your business and about how you got started, how you generated new business and how you keep going today in 2021. But before we get into any of that at all, I always ask guests who come on the show just to give us, for the sake of our listeners who don't know you, uh, a little bit of context. So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are in the country, where you're from originally, and if you had a career before you did photography? Sure, no problem. Um, So I live in Brighton and Hove, just by the south coast of England. Um, And I am a documentary family photographer and filmmaker, and I also work with um, small businesses and freelancers and offer branding photography and brand films. Um, and that basically comes from what I've done before photog- photography or kind of on the side of it. So my main job has always been in video. Um, I've worked in TV stations and uh, marketing agencies and uh, worked as a camera operator, video editor, motion designer and all these things. And photography and video have always been two separate entities for me. Um, and I never actually decided... Uh, realized that I could really combine them for myself um, until my friends kept telling me you should really do that and um, so yeah now I am actually doing it just by myself. Um, I left my full-time job in summer 2019 and since then I've been a full-time filmmaker and photographer and um, yes I am originally from Germany and I moved to the UK in 2014 because I needed a new adventure and I needed a change. <laughs> awesome okay so you left in 2019 summer 2019 you left your full-time job how did that feel when you left that knowing that from now on or from that point on you're going to be dependent on yourself to bring in your own income? I think I was a bit naive if I'm honest so I had my I, um, I started my business in 2010 um, so I've been photographing since 2005 and um, got my own DSLR at, at that point. And then people kept asking me to take photos of their families and at some point their weddings. And I decided I should probably make this a business if I want to make money from it, because I can't just take photos at a wedding for a dinner invitation. So I've had my business for a long time within like in two countries even, but it was always on the side. So I never actually had to market myself because people just came to me from my first wedding and because it was just a side job. So when I left my job, I knew what I was doing technically. I wasn't actually aware of how much business and marketing I didn't know I needed to do or I didn't know how to do. So I would just went in like, oh, it'll be fine. I've got a few things lined up. It's going to be okay. And people like things will just come. So I wasn't actually that worried. I was bit intimidated of the whole like I need to make my own income just completely by myself with my own motivation but I was also excited about being able to choose my own product project and um, just working on things that I care for 
Um, so it was kind of a mixed bag of emotions. Like it was, um, I was excited and I was looking forward to it. I was a little bit scared, but I don't actually think I understood all of what I would have to do. And do you think that not understanding and being a bit naive, to use your words, is it, it w- would have been a help to getting you started in that maybe you could have been prevented from starting had you been worried about some of these things that you weren't worried about? I think so, yes. I think if I had known all of the things that I needed to do, I probably would have pushed it further away and um, stuck with my day job for longer just to prepare better. And the thing is, you can be as prepared as you want to be. Once you make the leap, there's still so much you will have to learn. So you'll never be 100% prepared. Um, And I probably would have just pushed further and further. So it's probably good that I didn't know all of the things. On the other hand, I probably should have known a few more things, but I don't regret it at all. Um, Even with 2020 having been what it was, I think it was still the right decision. I mean, a lot of people do say that, you know, the right time to start any kind of business is when it's difficult to start it and difficult to maintain it. Because, you know, if you go full time when, uh, and clearly it was 2019, so it's before 2020, but of course your first full year was 2020, definitely not an easy year. But if you get through that and you survive, then you come flying out of the other end because you can learn so much about how to manage a business in the down times that in the normal times and especially in the good times you should be flying yeah hopefully um that that's actually a really good way of seeing it um and I do agree if you have to struggle through really hard times it'll be easier once those hard times ease so on the one hand it was one of those things where being naive was an enabler to getting you going equally if someone spoke to you about whether or not now is the right time for them and they were trying to think of all of these things, and maybe they weren't getting going just yet because they were worried about this and they're worried about the things that they didn't know. What would you say to someone like that? Um, it, I think it really depends on the individual person and kind of what kind of what kind of financial responsibilities they have outside of themselves. So if you have a family to feed, it would probably be a little bit more risky to do this now if you have still a steady income. Um, I wouldn't necessarily um, suggest it to everyone, but I think if it's something that you would want to do and you've been thinking about for quite a while and you can financially survive for a few months without any income, then yeah, do it. Because you will learn along the way and it will, I mean, in the end, if everything really goes wrong, who says you can't go back? You can always go back, can't you? Exactly. Exactly. Anya, just tell us a little bit about the breakdown of your work, if you could. So you mentioned that you do photography, but you also mentioned that you do video. um, And you've got a history of working in TV stations as well. So what's your general breakdown from one week to the next? Um, I don't have a structure and I don't have a proper breakdown photo versus video. Um, So I do on one side, I do families and the other other side, I do um, branding for small businesses and freelancers. And for both I offer photography and film. Um, So for families, family films are still relatively new. People don't really know what they are. They don't really understand them. So what I try to explain to people is a family film is like a wedding film. People understand a wedding video. They They do. Yeah. A family film. So I say it's like a wedding film but it's not at your wedding day it's just any day of of like within your family 
and that's kind of like oh but why would you do that and like then I try to explain what it is but it's not really it's not an easy sell right now because it's not a cheap thing because it's a lot of work to film for however long and then edit a video it's easier for people to book family photos so I've got this these two and then on like on the other side um for branding I think brand films are very popular but not a lot of people have good ones and branding photography again is something people know brand films are is something people do know but they don't want to invest in it they don't really see how valuable it can be for them so I think I've got a lot of interest for my brand films but a lot of people also can't book it just yet because they just can't afford it I can't make brand films cheap because it's a lot of work and I need to eat I need to pay my bills <laughs> um and if I work for a week or two on a brand film I can't work on anything else I do need to price it um appropriately um but yeah I've got these two or four strands basically okay so I'd love to unpack a little bit the uh, the brand films and the family films that you're talking about first of all the family films because you mentioned that one first what's your typical kind of target market then for a, a family film um I would say my target market is I market mostly to women because I don't think that men are really receptive to it. So it's, it is a cliche that um, with family photos, the dad is always the one who's like, oh, I really don't want to do it. It's not always the case, but it's just how the market seems to work as well. Like we market to, to mums rather than to dads. Um, and um, so it's mums with between one and three children Okay. Um, smallish children although I love working with teenagers um, if they're not just in their room playing PlayStation or whatever that happened as well before um, yeah so mums with um, a good income with a little bit of disposable income that they can spend on luxury items that are meaningful to them so not necessarily expensive shoes or expensive handbags but something that's a bit more meaningful like spending time together um doing things as a family and just kind of working as a family together so i my target market are families that work as families and in terms of families with disposable income i'm guessing because they're you mentioned yourself that they're not inexpensive then you're looking at people who are higher than average earners as well um i don't think it needs to be higher than average earners it just needs to be not the lowest income basically so I think it's like with a wedding, if if it's something you really care about, you can save up for it. And it's something you can kind of work towards. And especially at the moment where traveling is still not really on the horizon, you might have some some savings that you wanted to spend on traveling, but you can't go. So you can spend it on something for your family, something else. I love the whole idea of this. Do you think that this is something then that a bit like family photos right now, everyone knows and understands family photos. They don't really understand this right now, but do you think say five years from now, 10 years from now, this will be a normal kind of service that people like us can provide to, to families? Um, I hope so. Yeah. So I think in the U S for example, it's a lot more popular already. People have caught up with it. Um, I, although the, um, the American market is very different for photos as well, family photos. People take photos of their families every year and they spend loads and loads of money on it. And I think in the UK and in Europe, it's not that common just yet. So I think we have a bit of catching up to do. But hopefully in the next few years, people will be more aware and actually more willing to try it. Um, more and more photographers now find film for themselves and decide that they want to try this. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot more photographers who 
want to come on a market that's still quite small. And I hope that will push the market to actually pay more attention to it. Do you think another target market could be, uh, I'm just thinking while I'm talking here, could be other photographers and filmmakers who spend their lives taking photographs and shooting videos for their clients, but they don't have any decent videos of their own families. Yeah, I'm just thinking that they're a market who would understand immediately the value of something like that, but maybe they they don't have the chance to shoot their own families or they don't want to shoot their own families. Or of course, if they do, then they're not going to be in them anyway because they're on the wrong side of the camera. Yes, absolutely. Um, I would definitely f- just count them within my target market. Um, so I've done portfolio shoots actually with two photographers. Okay. Because I knew they would let me do my thing and they wouldn't question what I do. And um, so I approached, I'm in a small group of female photographers and I just put it out there and said, I I want to work on my portfolio for that. Is anybody up for me filming their family? And I had two women. I had actually a few, but I obviously couldn't do everyone. So I did two films um, for my photographer friends. I'll bet you did. If I was in that group, I would have put my hand straight up, I think. (laughs) And you mentioned about these brand films as well. Do you think that having a a background in TV stations helps towards making these brand films? Um, I'm not sure if the TV stations have helped much. So with the TV station, basically, I worked in a very, very small TV station with seven people. So I had to do basically everything. I filmed, I edited, I did graphics without being a graphic designer by any means. I had to program the, um, like hard program the, uh, what happens on, on screen. I had to, I had to do all of the things. Um, that gave me a good base level of understanding loads of things for the whole film industry. But I think where I learned more about what I do now is my last job. So I worked for a company that offers in, uh, foundation programs for international students to study in the UK and the US. And I had to travel around the country and interview loads and loads and loads of international students about their plans and what they do and how they live in a different country and all of these things. So it's a lot about storytelling and figuring out how to create good content that is real, that is honest but it's also engaging and interesting and inspiring. And I think that's the kind of brand videos that I want to create. So there's quite a few brand films out there. They're very, very generic and very boring. And they're talking about things that their clients probably don't care about. If I listen to someone saying like, my name is this and that, this is the photography I do. And I've always had a camera in my hand. I'm like, I don't really care. What do I get from it when I book you? And this is it's very much about storytelling and getting people to understand what they can get from me. And I think my last job was definitely helpful in learning the storytelling. I did a lot of storytelling courses about how to listen to people and how to ask the right questions and how to craft a really, really um, interesting story. And I think that's what helps me now with those, fa- with those films. What are the basic foundations then for a good story? Um, Well, you have to have a proper story arc, so beginning, middle, end, that's very um, simple, started, and um, you have to, like, it's a proper arc, so you start with an introduction of the scene, the person, or the the problem, and then you take your viewer on a journey through the problems and through the pain points, and then at the end you come to a solution, and basically your beginning and your end, they need to loop, so in the end, your viewer is at a point which is the exact opposite of where they started oh wow okay yeah so and you have to make it interesting so you have to have a hook at the beginning something that draws people in either with a statement that they wouldn't expect or with um 
with the fact that they didn't know or something just really, really compelling, something that's like makes them think, oh, okay, I'll have a listen and see what she's got to say. Rather than my name is Anya, I'm a family photographer and I work, uh, I'm based in Brighton. It puts me in a place, but it's not interesting to the viewer. And do you see 2021 being uh, well, certainly an improvement than more, more so than 2020? But do you see more and more people taking these uh, the, these brand films for their businesses and for their small business? I do hope so. Um, I've got a few people interested. Um, I've actually done a brand film for a photographer in London last year. And um, she already came back and said, like, I want another one for another area of my business and she even said she said it was one of the best investments for her business last year because she got so much attention from her audience and a lot of people they loved it they loved what it showed them and she wants to come back and having someone like this as a successful family photographer she's still quite new she's only like four years in or something which I find is still relatively new and because you still find your feet over the first few years um but having someone like this shout about me and um rave about me is just the best way and um i'm in a group of uh photographers i'm in a membership group and that's where i found her and she's posting about me there and people get get my i get people's attention that way and there's a lot of people who are interested and i'm hoping that i can push this and just get a few more bookings that way and show people how you can make a really interesting and inspiring brand film that is very much different from what's out there. So one of the things that uh, a lot of people, a lot of the so-called experts talk about is how it's really important to find your niche. And clearly this is an area that, you know, you're you're not marketing yourself here as a general photographer or filmmaker. You know, this is, this is quite specialist uh, stuff. So do you think that there is a market for, uh, for targeting your, your services or for, for creating your your films for photographers and other filmmakers and actually having that as a niche market? I think absolutely. Um, I don't want to niche myself down too much for uh, just yet for just filmmakers and photographers because I love working with other creators as well. I like, like hands-on things like jewellery makers or um, illustrators or pottery or something where like there's something hands-on. I love working with those kind of people as well. But um, I think there's definitely market because especially filmmakers and photographers, they really understand the value of it. And I love the fact that you haven't talked about gear equipment in the slightest, but some people are are often intrigued as to whether someone's shooting with Canon or Nikon or Sony or or whatever. What do you tend to shoot with? I shoot on Fuji. Um, In 2016, I sold all my Canon gear. I loved Canon, Um, was very loyal to Canon, but um, I switched to Fuji in 2016. I've never looked back. And I have very minimal gear, actually. Literally, you can send me anywhere with my X-T30 and my 23mm lens, and I'll come back with everything I need. (laughs) That sounds awesome. That really does. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And how about recording audio? How do you go about doing that? For normal situations, I have um, a Rode uh, microphone that I put on top of my camera. And for interviews, I've got a small Rode GoLink video. GoLink, I think GoLink. Oh, is that the wireless Go? Oh, yes, exactly. It's very small. It's um, You can clip it on, on people and just hide it. And it's um, the quality is amazing. It's not super high end like what you would use in uh, like a 10 in a production where you get paid like 10 grand. But it's good enough for what I do. And the sound quality is great because I know that I have to always pay attention to surrounding sounds. So if I'm still in a, in a noisy room and no microphone is really going to be the one. 
So I pay attention to that as well. But these, yeah. Anya, obviously 2020 was a difficult year for a lot of photographers and filmmakers. How did a national lockdown affect your work? Um, so as I said, I only went freelance, full-time freelance at the end of 2019. So it was September. And um, I had a few jobs lined up at the beginning. And then in uh, obviously over Christmas, over winter, it was a bit quieter. And then the beginning of the year, things started kicking up again. And I had quite a few things lined up. And then within a week, um, all my jobs were cancelled. Like income that would, would have lasted me a month or two at least were gone. And I was a bit like, I don't really know how to deal with this. Um, I've got savings that will probably last me half a year and then I'll be gone. But of course, you don't really want to blow your savings, you know, because they are, you know, you saved them. So, of course, um, I do have to say I was lucky enough to get some government support, um, which was very, very helpful. But it was emotionally, it was quite hard. I was, I went into like a little crisis, like if I can't take photos, if I can't take videos, am I even a photographer still? It was, it was um, for a few days, it was quite dark and I was really um worried about what would happen like how am I going to survive financially how is this going to be mentally and how is this going to go um so it was hard at the beginning and then luckily we had this good weather which is sounds trivial but it really helped my mood um Mm. having sunshine outside and still being allowed to at least go outside for exercise yeah um so it was it was a very turbulent year um mentally financially um it was yeah it was hard and it was hard trying to figure out what to do with my business and how to make some money Mm. um yeah it was I came up with a few things how to make some money later on it wasn't that I wasn't very inventive I didn't pivot like a lot of people did um and I did actually worry that I should have, but I couldn't really figure out how and I didn't really understand what I could do. So yeah, it was it was challenging. Um, I sold a few vouchers for sessions for later. I offered mini sessions that could be redeemed later in the year. So I made a little bit of money and I had a few clients from before lockdown come back to me who needed to edit, have some videos edited. So that kind of carried me over the summer. Of course, it's all well and good now selling things and getting some money now for something in the future. But then, of course, later in the year or next year or whenever it is, you need to fulfill that work. And of course, when you do that, then, of course, you're not getting paid for it. So, you know, it's one of those things that can get you out of a spot. But if you do too much of it, then you can end up digging a a separate hole for yourself. I really worry for all the wedding photographers. I'm lucky that I don't have to I didn't have to postpone any weddings or something because I don't shoot weddings and they're going to struggle quite a bit so I'm, I feel like I'm lucky not working in that area. It's really interesting that you mention uh, about how you questioned about being a photographer or a filmmaker during the early days of a lockdown because that shows how it's affecting your your well it, how it was affecting your identity I guess. It is yeah I've been actually um, called to be too much of a photographer because I always photograph and that's like literally my identity but I like being the one who always takes photos. So I don't find this an insult. I, I think it's it's just me I, because I love documenting life and not just other people's lives, my own as well. It's just what I do. This sounds fantastic. And, and hopefully for all of us, for the whole industry, 2021 is going to be a thousand times better than 2020. Yes, hopefully. Uh, okay. Anya, what sort of marketing do you do for generating new business? 
So funnily enough, I am an introvert. I don't like networking, but I do network quite a lot now. Um, so I went to my first networking event just after I started full time and I was terrified. I was so scared of going into a room of full of full of strangers and kind of having to explain what I do and who I am. And I've come a long way since then. Obviously, now networking events, they're all online. And I uh, found a really like that first networking event. It was um, women only. And it's uh, kind of a female um, founders group. And it's called Found and Flourish by Lara Sheldrake. It's okay. amazing. She's based in Hove as well. That's how I met her. And um, this is an amazing network for me because it's full of freelancers and small businesses, um, all females, all women from all different areas. And um, that's a lot of networking that I do. So we do monthly meetings and we do individual catch-ups with people and nothing is forced. So it's all completely voluntarily. If you don't want to join anything, you just don't. But I got a bit of network. I got a bit of work through that. Um, and that is like, I try to keep going with that community because I made some amazing connections that way. And even if it might not result in bookings right away, you never know who they know and who they can refer you to without expecting that from anybody. But if I like someone and they have something I know someone else might need, I happily recommend them. And I kind of want to think that especially this group of people, that's how everybody is. Like we kind of stand up for each other and we kind of look, oh, I know someone who can help you with this and just refer within the network. Um, so that's one thing I do. So is the networking group more so about about supporting each other and referring each other as opposed to seeing who might be interested in that group in buying what you do? Yes, it's very much just networking in the sense of uh, finding friends that are going through the same thing you do. It's very supportive and it's very, it's not salesy at all. Um, there's so much value in this. There's so much, um, Lara puts on so many events online about loads of things from well-being to how to do your tax return, um, how to find, like, why should you start your own pension scheme all of these things like it's, it's so valuable it's so good and so helpful in all aspects of being your own boss and you say that you're an introvert and that you don't like networking but of course here you're doing this networking how did you get yourself to do the first session the first time you went along to that um I was desperate to kind of find people I can network with just because a lot of my friends were full-time employed and I needed a network to just exchange ideas with and just kind of know that they understand the things that I go through and one of my friends Charlie she's been to a networking event and it was really good for her and she just kept pushing me she's um she's a proper cheerleader like we kind of cheer each other on and she's like yeah just do it just do it and nobody's gonna harm you nobody's gonna do anything bad just just go and if you don't like it don't go again and um so she she literally pushed me and I did, and I'm glad I did because it was such a welcoming surrounding and such a welcoming meetup. Um, it was just, it, it was called Hugs and Brunch. So literally you get there, you get a hug, like you get really welcomed um, in a very nice, caring way. And then you just sit there and eat and just chat about being freelance. And it was so nice. And it was such a great start to um, getting into the whole networking thing. I think the whole world needs more hugs. Uh, yes. I, I think we all need to be in some kind of networking group like that, actually. I think we also need 
decent cheerleaders in life as well. So well done to Charlie for being your cheerleader. I luckily have quite a few cheerleaders over time now and I like being a cheerleader to others. So it's always easier to see things from the outside and um, to give people advice. So I'm good at giving others advice, but it's hard for me to follow my own advice. So I need those people to basically throw that back at me. It helps with accountability as well. If someone's told you that you need to do something and then you know you're going to be talking to them again in a week's time, then it's a bit embarrassing or a bit awkward if you say, yeah, I didn't do that at all. You you don't want to sort of let that person down, even though you're not letting them down, but you sort of feel like you would be. Absolutely. It's it's so funny how we um, happily disappoint ourselves but we can't disappoint someone else if we promise something to them yeah we're very quick to compromise on 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 ourselves aren't we absolutely yeah okay when you're not shooting for clients what do you still shoot photos and videos for yourself at all um i do i um i'm a sucker for personal projects i literally have one or two projects on the go at all times oh this Um, sounds fun tell us more about that So at the moment, I am doing a Project 365, which I started in November 2019. So it's more than 365. So I take a photo every day for a whole year. Mm -hmm. I started on my birthday in 2019. And when I finished the year last year in November, I decided to just keep going because I love seeing my life unfold in front of me like this. I do. At the end of it, I make a slideshow um, really quick. So you just get a glimpse of of every photo. And it's such... A satisfying thing to watch a whole year in front of you unfold in three minutes and just kind of see all the things you've done especially in a year like 2020 when everything was so different and I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do Mm. Um, and and this is photos or video it's photos but I make a slideshow at the end so it's kind of both in the end (laughs) yeah yeah um I have a few video projects as well. So there's one that's currently on hold because I can't meet anybody it's called long portrait um it's like a portrait of a person but it's in video so you like you know when you take a photo of someone looking at the camera and mm-hmm. you get like a split second of who they are but with mm-hmm. the video they look at the camera for like two to three minutes and in that time you can see like micro expressions and you can see more of the real person behind the face Ooh, um, okay. because in, in a photo you try to portray yourself as the person you want the other person to see like mm-hmm. you want the viewer to see specific version of yourself mm-hmm. and but you can only hold that for so long so when you look at a camera for a while your face naturally will relax after a while and you 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 have to let go of that mask of yourself mm. so you can see a little bit more of the person and in the background I um edit an interview with that, that I do with them so I have five questions that I ask everybody and then I create a story out of it that tells a little bit about who the person is at that moment in time so it's not supposed to be like a long lasting story that is representative of them for a long time. It's literally just who they are in that moment. So they're going to talk about things that they're excited about at that point and um, what they do at that point. Um, and it's, it will be out of date in maybe a few weeks or a few months, but it is kind of a, like a photo, a representation of who they were at that moment. It's, it's really intense to, to do it and to watch it, to edit it and to watch it at the end the finished product and you record the questions and answers uh after or before you videoed them for two or three minutes looking at the camera usually i start with the interview okay so i have a, a just a small zoom audio recorder uh very absolutely easy not, not very um, intimidating um and then i take the video and then at the end i finish with a few photos because i always want 
that I always put it on my blog and I want a couple of photos to go along with the video on the blog. And I try to make it really quick. So I try to, I, I'm very worried about taking up people's time. I value people's time. So I try to always be on time. I, I don't want to be late. I don't want to mess around. I want to just get things done. That's, I think that's very German of me, just like, get it done. <laughs> um, so I try to not take up people's time too much. And I usually get it done within 20 minutes, the whole thing. Oh, wow. Oh, that's quick. Yeah. And how do they feel during the three minutes when they're being videoed, but they're not saying anything and they're just looking straight at the camera? Usually they're very nervous at the beginning. And then at the end, I ask them how it was. And they're like, it was actually okay. So I have in front of my um, lens, I have an ND and a variable ND filter because I want to shoot in a specific frame rate um, to make the video smooth and make it um, not jittery. So I have to adjust the, the shutter speed in, for my video. But if I shoot outside... Um, I need to take away some light. So I have a variable ND filter and that filter is like a mirror so they can see themselves. So at least that way they have something to look at. Ah, oh, yeah. Because otherwise, I guess their eyes could start wandering and they start looking around the room. Exactly. So I do actually tell them, like, if it gets too intense, feel free to just look away for a second and then come back. Because I don't want them to, like, get in a zone where they're completely tense and like, uh, I just need to get out of this. So I give them the option to just look away for a second and then come back. Do, do you include that looking away in, and coming back in the final video? Usually I don't. Um, I think with a couple I did. It depends on how the story flows. And if it's like, if there's a moment in when they talk where that could fit, then I will include it. And how close in are you on these videos? Um, I'm shooting with a... Uh, equivalent of 85 millimeters so i'm standing a few meters away okay not, not that far so kind of head and shoulders in that case i guess oh, yes yeah so it's head and shoulders it's uh, like a like a headshot kind of photo wow this sounds amazing is there anywhere online that people can see these or do you keep these as personal projects um no they're on my website um in my portfolio they're on youtube i don't think i have a specific uh, youtube link um, but yeah, they're on my YouTube. On I've got them on Vimeo as well. I'm everywhere. Um, I'm starting to post them on my Instagram now as well. Um, but they're on my website. There, yeah. If if someone looks for me, they will find them eventually somewhere. Okay, actually, just while we're here on that, your Instagram account. What's that name? Um, it's at by underscore Anya P. Um, the one that I actually started with is just Anya P. And, and Anya is with a J, not a Y, isn't it? Exactly. Yes. Okay. It's the German way of writing the name. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that's where I post street photography. But obviously that's a bit neglected, uh, neglected at the moment because I can't really go and shoot street photography. Anya, if you could do any kind of photography, ignoring how much it pays and how dangerous it is and how it might take you away from your loved ones and things like that, what might you choose to do? Um, I think it would have to be something documentary. Um, it's hard to say. I love documenting things that are very different from what I know. So I love street photography. I went to India and to Colombia, to Istanbul and Barcelona um, for just to document what's happening there. I absolutely loved it. And especially in Colombia and India, I got invited into people's houses and just kind of see how they live. And if I could do that for a living, um, ideally in places that I've never been to, like something remote or like a little um, tribe somewhere on a remote island or something, I think that would be something I really would love to do, where just document normal life that for me would be so very far removed from normal because I'm, I, I've grown up in the Western world and I have, I've grown up with a lot of things that 
other places might not know or might not have and just kind of seeing how they live without things that we're used to would be I think would be very interesting to me so anything documentary really it's amazing I always find when you know we're looking at the latest Fuji camera or the latest Canon mirrorless camera you know you, you got the, the the latest whiz bang technology and then you look at people out in completely different parts of the world where they, they've never even sort of heard of an iPad but they're quite happy they don't need it and it make, does make you realize that you don't really need these things for life fulfillment, do we? No, absolutely not. And I noticed that especially the um, in areas where people have the least, they're the most willing to share things. Hmm. And while we, we have all these things and we're so protective of them, like, don't take this away from me. This is mine. And it's just like, but it's just things. So the idea of working for National Geographic, something like that, would that appeal? Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. Do you have any contacts? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, but maybe if anyone's listening and and they're after someone like you, then they'll get in touch. That would be amazing. Yeah. So what would you say to someone who's maybe running their own business? They don't have that many clients. They're passionate about photography and they're passionate about filmmaking, but they don't have uh, much of a, a marketing um, education or experience behind them. What would you say to someone like that who wants to do more of what they're doing, but they're not doing it right now? I think learn as much as you can about the things that you know you're you're not good at. Um, that could be just going on YouTube and watching some videos or joining memberships. Um, I've learned so much about business and marketing in the last year. Um, I joined um, a photographer membership called Toxin Business, which is absolutely amazing. Um, so the woman who runs it, Julie, she's from Scotland, and she literally teaches you everything you need to know to run a business. And I've learned a lot. And so that's the one side. That's the business kind of side of thing. But the other side is reach out to people whose work you like and just start a general chat with them, a general conversation and just build a relationship and kind of learn from them. Kind of you can use them as your mentors without I don't think mentors always need to be paid um, as long as you don't uh, just take from them and they don't get anything back but you can also have mentors that they don't even know that you're mentors you might not even know them you might not even talk to them ever mm. and just kind of evaluate how they do things what they do and um, completely dissect what you like about their work and kind of try to figure out how you can make this you make this work for yourself as well and then work 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 honestly try everything you can see what you like and don't put your camera too far away. Like literally shoot every day, whatever it is, just shoot and try and you get better in such a short uh, amount of time by just doing the things you don't know how to do because you will see things differently in a month after doing something repeatedly and like, oh, that's why it didn't work at first. Now I understand. It's just a constant learning process and don't ever stop learning and don't ever stop being curious about the things that you don't know. And yeah, I love it. I really do. Okay, something non-photography related now, non-filmmaking. Just tell me three things that you're into right now and one thing you'd want to throw into the world of never, ever seeing again. What I'm into right now is podcasts. That's not a new thing, actually. Um, I've been quite addicted to podcasts for a few years and um, I love it. So I listen to um, photography podcasts, obviously, um, social media, I listen to a bit of like mindfulness or just entertaining things or just general chit chat. So loads of different things. So that's one. Another one is um, I recently discovered my um, love for marketing and business books. 
okay. which I never thought would be a thing. So I used to always use just fi uh, read fiction because that's how I grew up. And I always thought business books are boring and uh, dry and everything. But I joined a few book clubs last year and they talk about marketing and business books. And I actually got to read a few really, really, really interesting ones. And I kind of got hooked on finding good business books because they can be entertaining um, aside from being a source of learning. Mm -hmm. So I find this really interesting. Um, and the third one was... Um, Actually, hold it there. Can I yeah. ask you the name of one of those? One is... Um, I'm not sure if it really counts as business book, but it's called Storyworthy. It's um, about storytelling. And that's one thing that also helps me with my brand films. Another one is called The Go-Giver. It's a very short book. It's, um, it's a fictional story, but it is a business book. Um, it's about how to give more than what you expect to get back from it. And that's how you get more. Mm -hmm. um, there was another one. I recently read The Fortune Cookie uh, Principle. I think that's what it's called. It's this about, sounds awesome. Uh, I haven't yeah. read any of these. <laughs> yeah, I've read a lot of books that I never, ever heard before. Um, very interesting. But yeah, The Fortune Cookie is really good. It's about, you know, the fortune cookie that you get at a Chinese restaurant. Mm, yeah. It's you get the cookie because you're excited about breaking up the cookie, but it's what what's inside. That's the thing that you actually want. And if you um, translate that into marketing and business, there's some interesting things. I can really recommend that one. Okay. So number one was podcast. Number two was marketing and business books. Uh, what's number three? Number three is um, just being a bit more aware of, uh, of sustainability and um, environment. I mean, obviously with the whole, like we're destroying our planet and everything. I'm not a, like a crazy environmentalist, but I've uh, grown a lot more into being more aware of what's going on. And I find it really interesting um, watching documentaries about our planet and how we can help destroy it a little bit slower. We can do little things and I'm uh, quite passionate about that as well. Looking into how I can help make a little bit of a change. I think it's funny you say you're, you're not a crazy environmentalist, but surely we need crazy environmentalists in the world in order for all of us to make smaller changes. Absolutely, yeah. Because that's the ones who get the attention and um, make people aware. I'm not one of those. I'm just one of the followers, basically. <laughs> but it's great to be one of the followers instead of one of the rejectors, you know, because there yes. are a number of people around who, who who, maybe they don't like the attention that a 10-year-old girl gets from Scandinavia. And, and th then they just find ways to reject everything that she's saying. I agree. Okay. And one thing you want to throw into the world of never seeing again? I actually had to ask my boyfriend about this because I was completely drawn blank. Um so he reminded me of um, a pizza I ordered in France. I'll never order pizza in France again because you know how um, the French are very uh, obsessed with their cheese and I'm trying to, I try to live dairy free. I'm okay. not vegan. I try to reduce my meat intake, but I'm, mm -hmm. I'm dairy free as much as I can. And it's so hard in France. And I ordered a pizza because there was literally nothing meat or cheese free on the menu. And uh, there was a, a pizza with very little cheese. And it was just the most cheesiest garlicky thing ever. I don't like garlic. You're trying to cut down on cheese and you don't like garlic. Yes. And you're in a French restaurant. Yes. It's not an easy place to be, really, no, is it's, it? No, it's really not. Um, it wasn't like a, a proper nice restaurant. It was kind of like a just a cafe kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, it was horrible. I couldn't eat anything. And then we went, get, got back to uh, uh, the place that we rented, and I just had to make myself a sandwich. <laughs> that was such a disappointing thing. So, yeah, I'll never order pizza in France again. All right. We, we can throw French pizza into that world of never seeing again. Yes. Uh, now, Anya, we're going to wrap this up in a moment. But uh, you mentioned your Instagram account earlier on. 
and your website. Can you just remind us of those so that listeners know where to go to find out more about you? Of course. So my uh, main Instagram is by underscore Anya P. And my website is anyapurman.com. So by underscore Anya P. And that's Anya with a J. And then the website is, just give us that again. anyapurman.com. So it's Anya with a J, A-N-J-A. And then mm-hmm. Purman, P-O-E-H-L-M-A-N-N.com. P-O-E-H-L-M-A-N-N. Exactly. Got it. Great stuff. Well, look, Anya, thank you for your time here today. I really appreciate you coming onto the show. I really appreciate you as well telling us from your perspective uh, how everything's been going really in the last well, 18 months since you've been doing this on your own, uh, but also for you to be sharing this, these, these projects that you've been working on because they sound fantastic. They really do. Thank you very much. And thanks so much for having me. That was really fun. And there we go. Anya, thank you so much for your time on the show just now. I've got to say, I'm truly blown away by her personal projects, especially the long portraits she talks about. Just amazing. And one of the best things about my job here is that I get to hear Anya twice, once when we record the episode and once when I played it all through just now to make sure that it all sounded good. And while I was doing that, I took a minute out to look at her Instagram account and I was just speechless at her work. Her images and her videos are just packed with love. It's the only way to describe it. And I watched a long portrait video and found it to be one of the most moving things I've seen in a long time. So go check her out. It's by underscore Anya P. And I think you're going to love it. Just again, that's by B-Y underscore Anya P. And that's Anya with a J, not with a Y. Also, if you listen to this episode and you haven't subscribed yet, then what are you doing? Because the next episode is coming out soon. And this guy is one of the biggest names in the world of wedding photography. And if you haven't subscribed, then you won't know when it's released. So do that right now, because I am right here to serve you. But in the meantime, thanks for listening and bye for now.